What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO Project, the MFCEO.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. can't expect that everyone is as passionate about racing as we are. We can't expect that everyone is able to hear the silent call of the sea at 5am. Not everyone possesses the ability to smell the difference between rich and lean. nor the ear to differentiate the bark of two cylinders from four. It would not be fair of us to assume that the world understands the yearning and overwhelming compulsion that we have to push through pain, angst, frustration and failure. Some people might not understand the desire to test physical limits, conquer fear, or to tangle with the forces of gravity and physics. But we don't make product for them. Look to the future, but embrace our past. We study, we analyze, we race on Sunday so we can innovate on Monday. We exercise trial and error religiously. through our commitment to the pursuit of perfection. We learn. How to make products for the people that are capable of dedicating everything to sport. Whether there is a championship involved or not. Alpine stars, one goal, one vision.
25. Moro here from Grundahl. Kingsley turns that five sideways. Brian, the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallon Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, Viral Goggle Brand, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Hey, Big MX listeners. Thanks for listening. This is a very important podcast and a special one to me. Tom White was a a really great friend of mine and a close friend of mine and uh, taken from us way too soon. A contributor to the sport in in more more ways than uh, are honestly expressed even in this podcast. And I wanted to invite two individuals who knew Tom very well and uh, on both a professional and a personal level. And uh, just to kind of pay tribute to him as well as celebrate both the careers of the two men that I had on this podcast. Uh, Brian Spud Walters, obviously multi-time champion uh, on, the, on the four strokes and uh, uh, spearheading the uh, the racing of them and, and doing so quite well throughout the, uh, the late 90s and early 2000s. And uh, he does an amazing job on the podcast being very descriptive. And I really appreciate some of the stories that he was able to bring ahead, not only about his career, but about Tom White as well. And um, and that's really what this podcast was directed towards, is kind of a, a tribute to Tom and uh, the love that he had short, shared to the, the sport of motocross and motorcycles everywhere. And then uh, after the commercial break, we brought on Mike Young, Mike Young Gun himself, and... Uh, and we, we also talked about uh, some of uh, his his stories with 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 Tom White and uh, and White Brothers, and as well as some some cool stories from his motocross career prior to his injury. So uh, I really appreciate if you guys would listen to this podcast, take the time and enjoy it, and uh, hopefully this can bring you a better understanding of who Tom White was and how awesome of a person that he he was to everyone who came in contact with him. Whether it be uh, taking the time to meet with uh, myself and my dad at the 2016 Vet World Championship as uh, my dad and I went down there to check out the event and see if it's something that my dad would want to take part in in the future uh, or or to to the times where he's uh, extended uh, immense support to uh, racers, uh, enthusiasts, and just fans of of motorcycles, everything on two wheels. So please enjoy this podcast. I hope you guys like it and uh, continue to listen. And uh, this one meant a lot to me, and uh, I want to thank... John Anderson and Kristen Anderson for sending me uh, a very special, um, and, and I'm, I'm sure there's very few of them out there. This uh, the, the TW80 uh, T-shirt with uh, with the logo that uh, that that uh, kind of commemorates Tom on it. And uh, this podcast in loving memory of Tom White. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast. I am your host. Brad Gebhardt, and with me on the line is none other than Brian Spud Walters. Brian, how are you this beautiful Thursday evening? <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, and thanks for having me, Brad. And uh, uh, just kind of hanging out at home, and uh, been uh, been uh, quite a uh, long week at work. But uh, just uh, 
um, great to uh, talk to you and uh, enjoy uh, kind of bench racing, uh, you know, about the past uh, with you tonight. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. No, talking dirt bikes, especially uh, talking, uh, going, going, spinning the clocks back is always a, uh, a great passion of mine. And honestly, why I started this podcast in the first place, uh, just a, a, a thirst for knowledge and a deep well of that to begin with. So uh, I've always been able to uh, pull up some odd stats and, and, and material. And then uh, I call up guys like yourself and uncover even more gems. So that's even more. It's exciting for me and exciting for those who listen. And uh, I know I got a ton of great reviews from uh, the first time we had you on, uh, which uh, we were accompanied by the, the late Don Schneider. Um, and uh, we uncovered a ton of stuff there and uh, looking to do some, some more of that this time. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, talking to yourself. So uh, let's let's get into it. Absolutely. Now, uh, before we spin the clocks back, what's uh, Spud Walters up to uh, these days? What's exciting, uh, and uh, and what are you working on? You mentioned it's a long work week. I imagine pushing papers and uh, uh, it must mean you're you're like bench pressing a Honda ATVs. Yes? No? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. We are just uh, you know making new products and. Uh, I'm uh, just kind of refining the existing product. So it's been, uh, it's been great. You know, uh, Honda's, uh, been, uh, really, uh, uh, doing good the last, you know, obviously, uh, quite a few years now. And I'd just be, uh, happy to be part of it. And, uh, you know, between the, the dirt bikes, uh, you know, CRF 450, that's uh, been well received and, uh, kicking butt. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm more on the ATV and side by side side of it. Uh, so just been, uh, just, really busy and just trying to get all of our uh, products finished up, you know, meeting deadlines and, uh, you know, that way we can get the uh, vehicles out to the customers. So uh, it's been, uh, you know, it's just been, uh, been great. So um, like educate me just for a moment here before we spin the clocks back though. How do you quite uh, test uh, an ATV or a side by side. I suppose you just go, like, maybe you just go trail riding with the thing. But like, there's there's any number of things that someone might encounter on one of those trails. So how do you get a a side by side or or a, a qua, uh, an ATV ready for uh, whatever anyone might want to throw at it? Yeah, well, actually, it all kind of starts, you know, with the ground up. You know, we uh, um, we kind of work with the design and uh, you know, kind of the uh, concept of uh, what what we want to create and then uh, from there you know we uh, you know uh, kind of uh, wor- work as a team and uh, develop uh, you know new ATVs and side by sides and uh, once once we have a prototype uh, you know we evaluate them and uh, kind of give uh, feedback on where we need to uh, improve and and what what you know we're trying to achieve here and then uh, you know like I said after uh, after uh, you know quite a few prototypes, um, you know, we, uh, um, you know, evaluate, um, you know, it's not only, um, just, you know, cross country riding or, uh, woods riding, but, you know, we will ride them. Um, it, it all depends on what, what we're developing, you know, um, you know, uh, rather it's, you know, in the tight woods and, or out in the desert or whatever it is. So it just all depends on, like I said, what kind of what we're developing and stuff. And, uh, you know, and then we obviously have to comply with all the re- regulations and stuff like that. So it's it's a pretty uh, long uh, process, but uh, in the end, uh, when you know these vehicles do come out there, it's pretty rewarding to see uh, 
you know, uh, that you, you know, had such a big involvement with these vehicles. So it's pretty cool. No doubt. It's got to be a huge point of pride for yourself when you see, uh, you go out and see people enjoying, uh, the, uh, whatever it happens to be, whether it be an ATV or side by side and, uh, and, and whatever they're using is, ha- is handling the terrain, uh, in, in front of them. Absolutely. You know, that's Honda's been, uh, you know, well known, uh, for their, uh, for the reliability and stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we keep, uh, pushing, pushing the, uh, you know, the, uh, envelope and, uh, just keep, uh, you know, uh, you know, just trying to, you know, that's, that's our, that's our pride is, you know, reliability and quality. So, uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's been really good and, uh, hope to keep, uh, having a, having a great, you know, future for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, so, um, Brian, long and you, you're probably most known for your days on uh, four strokes or thumpers, as we called them back then. Um, but I have a sneaking suspicion that your professional career started on a on two strokes, especially in your amateur days. Um, if you could, like, uh, and everyone's got that story. Your first birth, uh, your first dirt bike. What's yours? <laughs> I, I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, it was uh, an RM. RM50, so it was uh, kind of like a little bit bigger than a JR50. It was a Suzuki. It was a 1980. I uh, got that for Christmas, and uh, uh, we just, uh, you know, my my parents, uh, you know, we, we grew up in Northern California where we had a little bit of land, and uh, uh, so we would, uh, you know, my my dad didn't really race, but uh, he rode for fun. So, uh, you know, I was started at a young age. I was seven years old, and you know, once I got that bike, man, I couldn't wait to get home from school and get on that thing. And I'd run up, I'd ride that thing from sun up to sundown. So it was, uh, it was, it was awesome, you know, and then that's, you know, like any motocrosser knows, you know, once you get that, that, that thrill and, uh, you know, just riding, uh, you, you just, it's nothing, nothing like it in the world. So, uh, you know, I was uh, fortunate to have, uh, parents that uh, traveled you know all over the country uh racing uh, or uh taking me to the races i should say and uh you know it was it was great great memories you know and it started uh, like i said in 1980 and then uh you know uh, growing up in northern california there weren't as many tracks so my uh my dad would uh pick me up from school on friday and we would head down to southern california once uh i got more involved in racing and uh you know, we do all the Golden State races and World Minis and Transcals and kind of just one thing led to another. And then next thing you know, we're driving cross country to Oklahoma and Tennessee and all that stuff. It was uh, it was an awesome childhood, that's for sure. It's a story that's been told a few different times by many different <laughs> racers on this, even on even just on this particular podcast, let alone any like uh, by like campfires and tailgates all around uh, motocross um motocross is contagious infectious and uh it's it's something that really gets inside your souls and stays there um you yourself were able to take that feeling from that uh suzuki ds80 or maybe it was an rm80 or rm50 rather and uh and let that basically blossom into uh uh, an over 10 year long professional career and uh, ultimately a career and um i think that's really kind of the coolest thing about motocross is that um it, it pulls people in and it keeps them there and uh, even if you do stray for a little while you always seem to come back 
to it. It's like, I, I mean that in the terms of, of local riders and, and um, the passion pretty much uh, runs about as deep as it can when it comes to motocross. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's growing up, uh, you know, racing and, you know, that's, that's like, you know, that's your family, you know, is, is, uh, just racing weekend and week out. And, uh, you know, I didn't do, I wasn't much, you know, involved with the, you know, school, school activities, but it was always, you know, racing on the weekend and stuff like that. So, you know, you, you know, it's such a, a small, sport you know as far as um every kind of everybody knows everybody and people do anything for everybody so it was uh it was really uh really cool um growing up with that and um and having that you know most most kids nowadays they don't get that opportunity so i'm very fortunate for that for sure Absolutely. And uh, at that time, there were a ton of great programs. Uh, the Team Green program was in f- like full-fledged, full swing uh, in throughout the late 80s, early 90s. Um, were you a benefit of that at all, um, uh, getting the Team Green program? Basically, uh, uh, I think of uh, some guys that, uh, that really were the cornerstone of that in the late 80s, uh, and that's right around when you would have been stepping onto big bikes for the first time. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was part of the Team Green program. Um, I started in uh, 1987. I got my first Team Green ride, and then uh, all the way up till 1992. So, uh, uh, you know, those years, uh, I was a Team Green rider. Uh, I raced the uh, the, the uh, race of champions uh, in the 80 class uh, two years. I believe it was 88, 89. I raced the race of champions, and that was a really cool deal where everybody rode a case stock kx80 uh, all the uh, cool. all the 80 expert champions uh, from all the different regions so that was a really cool opportunity and then um in 1989 i won loretta lens uh the 1415 class uh as a team green rider as well so yeah it was um it was a really cool opportunity like you said team green was uh they were uh they were the team you know team to be on and i was lucky enough to uh be part of that team no kidding! Isn't it too bad that nowadays, with uh, like like amateur contracts, this that, and everything, it, you, there is no way that the Orange Brigade and the the, the new Suzuki amateur team and, and Star Yamaha would allow all of the fastest kids in the country to go ride KX85s for the for the afternoon and race them. But at that time, yeah, like literally, doesn't matter what you rode back home, doesn't matter if you were on a Kawasaki Suzuki or Honda, whatever, you show up and, and lined up on a, on a stock bike and uh you guys twisted it and those track that track was pretty gnarly to be racing around on a stock bike but uh, you guys made it happen yeah absolutely it was uh it was uh definitely uh it was it was a blast i mean it was uh you know it, like you said um everybody i remember buddy antnez he was you know the the full factory suzuki r&d rider um and he you know they let him ride the, the kawasaki you know for for that one race so it was it's pretty something uh, special, you know, so it was uh, very cool. That'd be a rare photo to find if you had a, a, a picture of Buddy Antonez on a KX80. But, uh, um, no kidding. But so you, you turned pro on Kawasaki's uh, racing 125s throughout uh, 1991 and 92. Uh, what, what kind of support were you getting uh, from, not, like, I guess you're, you're part of the, the, the Team Green crew, but like, what did that entail as far as parts goes? As then, uh, and then from there, were you uh, free to go go find gear, go find uh, some, some other support uh, elsewhere? And if so, uh, where did you find it? 
Yeah, I think uh, I think the uh, the amateur racing has changed quite a bit now. I mean, back back when I was part of the team, you know, Kawasaki, they uh, usually uh, would give you a couple of bikes and uh, give you some parts, and that was about it, you know. And now I, I it seems like a, I know some of these guys are getting uh, multiple bikes, and you know, oh. I even heard you know money, you know, and that was yep, definitely right. not 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 back in my day uh, by any means. So. Uh, but you know, any any uh, support it was greatly appreciated and stuff. So it you know, in the end, it still cost my parents a lot of money. But it was uh, it was uh, you know definitely uh, appreciated the support we did get from uh, Kawasaki and stuff. And yeah, I was definitely free to do kind of what I wanted on my uh, clothing deal. Um, I was fortunate enough uh, being from Sacramento. I knew a guy named Scott Link that was the uh, uh, the Yoko, I don't know if you remember Yoko for oh, moto. Yeah. Uh, he was the importer for Yoko. So, uh, me and, uh, uh, Talon and Tyson Bolin, uh, we all wore right. the Yoko gear. And, uh, I was, uh, actually probably the first amateur kid, uh, to be wearing that other than obviously Talon and Tyson. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, I had some support from Alpine Stars and, uh, Biafi helmets. I mean, it kind of, it's sad to say, but oh, no. uh, yeah, I know <laughs> oh, it, it was, uh, it was definitely, uh, some different times and stuff, but it was, uh, uh it was, I, I was fortunate, you know, and then, uh, I had a dealership, um, Dublin, Kawasaki, uh, there in the Bay area. They, uh, gave me, um, a lot of support and, um, uh, guy named Bob major there. He was a super diehard fan. And, uh, you know, I would do anything uh, for anybody, and he he uh, kind of gave me so much and uh, so much opportunity, and it uh, got me, uh, you know, some uh, some extra bikes and some extra parts. So it was, uh, like I said, it was all you know greatly appreciated, and I think times are quite a bit different now. That's for sure. No kidding. Um, in, with that in mind, I know that uh, both Tyson and Talon Volan both. Uh, raced um not only motocross and supercrosses but they raced those ultra crosses a fair bit do you try your hand at those at all i did actually uh um you know before uh before i got on the four strokes uh i, I rode a couple of those uh those were uh you know pretty challenging you know with the course going backwards from the the trucks and the buggies and stuff like that but uh you know i uh I wasn't very good at good at that, and then I got on the uh, the four strokes uh, in the YZ 400 back in 1998 and 99, and then uh, uh, Pace Motorsports um, they had a, what's called the Thunderbike series. So we uh, basically they brought back the uh, Mickey Thompson uh, racing uh, indoor, and uh, they kind of did the same thing um, that back when Mickey Thompson had it. So. I rode those for uh, two years and actually won that series uh, two years in a row uh, in the uh, the indoor stadium. So that's kind of where I got to know John Anderson really well and uh, uh, Tom White from White Brothers. Uh, they both they sponsored me back in the on the YZ 400s and so we kind of went all across the country. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun and so I ended up winning that like I said that that series uh, the the two years in '98 uh, and '99. So it was pretty fun. No doubt, and start honestly started to get some serious uh, notoriety in, in doing so. You're kind of the, the star of that series, and uh, something about switching over to the four-stroke just seemed to uh, uh, bring out the best in you, Brian. Uh, it, even to the fact that uh, if you watch the 2000, I think it's 
2001. Um, Glenn, is it the Glen Helen first first national of the year. Um, if, uh, if 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 it was the first time you'd ever heard uh, Art Ekman talk, it was a it was a battle royale between you and Ricky Carmichael, man. <laughs> yeah, that was a. Uh... That was definitely one of my better rides. You know, I was, uh, yeah, I was always kind of struggled on the two stroke and, uh, you know, so, uh, I was looking for some, I was getting, to be honest, I was getting kind of burnt out and, uh, you know, right around 1995, just racing, you know, all these local races. And I, I really didn't have the support to go cross country and do all the national. So I kind of stayed local and I, um, you know, I was the top Suzuki, uh, contingency earner. Uh, just hitting all these local money races and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, you know, doing that, I was just getting kind of burnt out. And then uh, Tom White gave me the opportunity to ride a four-stroke um, at his uh, uh, the four-stroke um, uh, that not the that world four-stroke the world four-stroke uh, championship uh, race. Uh, he held that race once a year. Uh, so I got on four stroke and just absolutely fell in love with it. I never had even ridden a four stroke before that, you know, and mind you that these were the days where we were in the, I was riding an XR 400. So, uh, there's yeah. nothing like these, uh, these bikes are now, you know, basically it was a trail bike that was converted into a kind of semi motocross bike, but it was definitely a handful, but it was just a blast, you know, and I just, I got on that and I, you know, it just suited my style a lot, lot more. And, uh, you know, I was always uh, kind of a rider that never really pushed the envelope, but, uh, uh, you know, and it didn't, wasn't the most aggressive rider. So I just, like I said, kind of suited my style where you can uh, kind of uh, lug it in the turns and uh, uh, that extra torque was just, uh, was really awesome. So, uh, you know, I just, just fell in love with it and didn't want to get off the bike as soon as I started riding and kind of rejuvenated my career. So, uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, fortunate for that. So the the thumper at the time was uh, definitely a machine that required a smooth operator, and you happened to be the smoothest of the operators of those those bikes, especially in that era. And uh, um, I, I imagine your uh, career on four strokes must have been pretty neat in the fact that uh, you would have literally seen those bikes evolve from a, uh, a an XR 400 or, or even even larger displacement to a uh, full-blown, full-factory, full-works motocross bikes that ended up taking over the sport. Um, like, uh, I kind of, if you could kind of just like kind of speak to the evolution of those machines, because, uh, it was quite drastic year to year, honestly. It really was, you know, back, back, like I said, back when we, when I was racing that series, uh, you know, it was the sound of thunder series, uh, myself and Mike Young and, uh, Scott Myers and Lance Smell and, you know, uh, there was a, uh, quite a good handful of riders that would, uh, were racing these bikes. And, you know, like I said, they were designed for basically trail bikes. So, uh, uh, it took a lot of modification, especially on the, the smaller displacement, like the 400 that I was riding, you know, uh, those guys were on the KTMs and Husaburgs and ATKs and Vertimatis and all that stuff. So they were a little more suited for motocross, but basically the bike I was riding, uh, you know, it was air cooled and it was, uh, uh, you know, super, uh, high center of gravity and it was really tall and it was just not meant for, uh, for moto. So it was, uh, you know, we, as soon as that, uh, the YZ4 came, 
400 came out though, I kind of knew that, you know, this was going to be uh, uh, kind of ground, you know, groundbreaking and, you know, it just, it just evolved so quick as soon as that bike came out and then, you know, that, you know, then all the other Japanese manufacturers got on board and um, it was, it was crazy. But, but back then I would have never guessed that anybody would be racing four strokes uh, like they are now, but, you know, and especially in supercross, it's just like, that was, Never, I could, I could have never imagined that in a million years. So it's uh, pretty cool to be a part of, you know, part of that, you know, that change uh, in the sport for sure. No doubt. And I, I imagine some pretty exotic motorcycles that you ended up uh, riding and testing as as things evolved. At what point do you uh, do you meet the uh, the great John Anderson, and when does he start spinning in the wrenches on these uh, ever improving motorcycles that seem to uh, uh, get better by the year, and then eventually take you to championships, of which you were um, pretty much far and away the 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 guy to beat uh, on either coast um, of the. Uh, of the four stroke nationals you were uh tough to beat my friend <laughs> yeah yeah that was uh um you know that was that was back in the day but uh yeah i met john anderson um like i said uh, i started work, riding for white brothers in uh, just a few selected races in uh, 95 and uh, 96 then then the yz 400 came out in 97 uh we had a deal with yamaha where they wanted to do the uh pace thunder bike series uh, so that was kind of our big commitment was to do that and then do the uh, West Coast um, four-stroke national. So we did all that. And then uh, at the time, John Anderson was my mechanic. He was, uh, you know, he was uh, working um, down at White, White Brothers and uh, we just kind of gelled, you know, really well. Um, like we traveled across the country in a, in an Astro van. And so we got to definitely know each other uh uh, really well, and uh, you know, we just we kind of meshed. So uh, uh, he was uh, my, not only my mechanic, but I think he was uh, one of my number one fans for sure. Uh, I still keep in contact with him uh, to this day, you know. So, uh, uh, but it all it all started started from there, and then uh, you know, just kind of led uh, led into the uh, the Honda deal in uh, in ninety or excuse me, two thousand two. Uh, Honda uh, stepped up. Uh, they wanted to uh, develop and uh, race the uh, the uh, CRF uh, 450, so uh, we started uh, doing that and uh, raced the uh, West Coast uh, Nationals and then the uh, East Coast Nationals. Uh, so uh, kind of a lot of miles in a in a minivan, that's for sure. But uh, it was it was great. No kidding. You guys uh, were a dynamic duo, to say the least, and uh, working on those things uh, w- was a science, and maybe maybe a less refined science than it is now. Uh, but uh, but John made them work, and, um, and and you guys were 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 really great together. Uh, and obviously, th- th- it was a series that was all kind of brought together by uh, by Tom White. Uh, that that originated that four stroke championship, and um, that that's just one of the many things that Tom did to kind of uh, revolutionize the sport, build the sport, and uh, elevate that the sport to uh, because he loved it so much. Yeah, Tom was Tom was just so passionate about dirt bikes, and you know, and then to, to see the success of the uh, four strokes, you know, um, it just it was it was great, you know, the. the uh, they got super involved, uh, like I said, uh, supporting the four-stroke series. 
Um, they, they sponsored me and, uh, Doug Dubach at the time on the YZ 400. And then, uh, like I said, we got some support from Honda. Um, and then, uh, from there, um, they picked up Paul Carpenter and myself. And then, uh, you know, we were, we rode the uh, West and East coast series and, uh, you know, he was just, he was just, a one of those guys that would just, um, you know, give the shirt off his back to, uh, you know, support anybody. And he just loved racing. You know, and he was a very passionate and just a great all around guy for sure. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that uh, I, I noticed most uh, when I first met Tom is his, his ability to make anybody in the room that he's speaking to feel like the most important person in the room, whether they are a, uh, uh, an engineer building uh, a four stroke frame or, uh, or, or a, a weekend warrior at the, a local REM race that can barely make it around the track on two wheels. Um, he made time for people, uh, and he had time for people. He would, um, he, he like he would share the passion that he had within his heart, and uh, and it would stir up the passion in yours. And it, that's something that uh, made him uh, a Hall of Famer. And uh, honestly, um, if uh, it's, it's hard pressed to find somebody that's going to be remembered better than uh, than Tom White, and uh, taken from us way way too soon and uh, rather abruptly, I might add. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's just so tragic to uh to know that he's gone and you know, he's going to be uh, missed by so many for sure. You know, he was Tom was just we, there's not too there's not probably no other Tom Whites out there that that uh, I know of, you know, and he was definitely a legend. Uh he like you said he would uh he would talk to anybody. I mean, he was just so passionate and just so enthusiastic and you know, it didn't matter like I said, if you're an engineer or if you're just some nobody, he was, uh, he was a, he truly a great guy. Um, and would, uh, you know, just like I said, just talk to you and just hang out and you guys could, it didn't matter what it was. You know, we, uh, we had some good conversations, but rather it's moto or family or whatever. Tom, Tom was, uh, Tom was just the man for sure. So, uh, it's going to be, it's, it's super, uh, super, you know, tragic and um you know i just feel so um so sorry for uh, the whole white family and uh and all that so um our thoughts and prayers are definitely out to them absolutely and uh the condolences reigned in i think i know john was pretty taken back by the outpouring of support and uh condolences throughout the the, the motocross industry uh he was uh, a huge part of that and I, th- I don't think uh it was even realized how big of a part it was until until he passed and then just that outpouring came and um they were able to celebrate his life through the ride day which i believe was um the week after the, uh, the the World Vet Championships at Glen Helen, uh, a track where he announced many, many motos and uh, probably one that you uh, knocked down some moto victories uh, to the sound of his voice, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was uh, definitely uh, just so ironic that he uh, happened to, uh, you know, unfortunately pass uh, that, that weekend. You know, that was, uh, that was his big race, you know, uh, um, I remember uh, racing in, uh, I actually won the Vet World Championship in uh, 2004. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, Tom was always one of my, Tom and, jo- Tom and John were both my uh, number one fans. And, 
you know, I remember finally, finally kind of beating, uh, my, my rival Doug Dubok at that race. And it was, uh, both motos, you know, we kind of battled it out and, you know, to finally get the win on him. And it was just so, so awesome. And then, uh, you know, across the finish line and first guy that come running up to me, you know, I, I saw some tears in tears in his eye was Tom White, you know, so that guy was just, just so, uh, so passionate and, you know, it was, it was awesome. So that guy was, uh, you know, my, like I said, my, my, my hero and he'll be sure, surely be missed for sure. That's, uh, that's an amazing story, man. I thank you for sharing that. And, uh, I'm, I've, I'm personally, uh, ama- amazed and a little bit offended that, uh, Brian, Spud Walters never made his way up to Canada to claim a, 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 a countrywide championship like his teammate uh, Doug Dubok in the fact that uh, that guy came up here at uh, the tender age of 74 and uh, and schooled everyone. Yeah, I, I apologize for that. You know, I, uh, I actually always wanted to do those Canadian nationals and stuff. And, uh, you know, I, maybe, uh, you know, maybe it was, busy or at the seemed like I never uh my schedule could line up you know and stuff like that and uh you know between uh racing uh both coasts and uh racing these uh Thunderbike series it was just it was a pretty hectic schedule so uh you know I think I, I believe when Doug came up he was uh not racing quite as much um you know as uh, as I was and then kind of kind of my my career uh, kind of ended, uh, kind of a little bit shortly, um, after I won the, uh, that world championship, I kind of got a, a job at Honda, uh, kind of one of those opportunities where I could milk out possibly a few extra years or, uh, you know, kind of, uh, get my foot in the door with such a great uh, company as Honda, you know, and I was one of the lucky ones. So I kind of took the, uh, the career path, you know, and, uh, kind of doing the, uh, the two wheel uh, development uh, started doing all the uh, MX and off-road uh, CRF um, um, th- th- uh, testing for them. And then um, just kind of uh, one thing led to another. And now I'm in Ohio <laughs> developing uh, ATVs and side by side. It's kind of crazy how life uh, throws a curveball at you, but you just kind of, you know, deal with, deal with the punches for sure. Absolutely. Life will take you some crazy places, my friend. Uh, three hours ago, I was, uh, I was laying bricks in, in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Now I'm talking to a motocross legend on the phone. It, it's, <laughs> things, things can change just like that, but, uh, I'm appreciate oh, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Uh, I don't know about a legend, but I just, uh, just an old has been. So, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, it's, that could be further from the truth, man. But, uh, um, Dare I ask when the first time you actually saw a uh, like a pre-production CRF 450? Yeah, so that was kind of um, kind of a yeah. so I back in the day. So I can I could kind of give you a quick quick story here. I, I was doing a durability testing for Honda. Uh, I was uh, really good friends with Steve Lampson um, okay. back in his Honda days, and then uh, uh, he kind of got me um, uh, a deal to. Uh, do a little bit of durability testing. So I just started kind of doing that, um, just part-time and stuff, kind of when they needed me, just a, a fill-in rider. And then, uh, like I said, we uh, we started uh, racing the uh, XR400s um, just for White Brothers. We didn't have any Honda support. 
and then uh, Yamaha, like I said, got got involved, and they wanted uh, you know the White Brothers to uh, to go racing. So um, actually, um, before that bike was developed, I worked a little bit with Yamaha um, and uh, started uh, uh, testing with uh, them and uh, Dustin Nelson and uh, Doug Dubok. Um, you know, developing the YZ400, and then uh, kind of, I still had uh, a little bit of testing going on with Honda, kind of on the side there. And then um, in roughly probably 2000, 2001, um, this I uh, started uh, working with Honda and stuff, uh, helping those guys out. Uh, so you know, that's that's kind of how that all started, and uh, it's just kind of one thing led to another. So. Well, there it is, and uh, and so the 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 first version of that particular bike must have been pretty primitive, and a lot of uh, one-off, unreplaceable parts, I imagine, as well. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, it was uh, that definitely that uh, bike. Uh, the first uh, few prototypes was uh, uh, it was still a step above an XR four hundred, but it wasn't uh, definitely uh, nowhere near the YZ four hundred at that time, and then. Uh, like I said, uh, they uh, kind of started figuring out the engineers in Japan. And then obviously when it came out in mass production in 2002, it was uh, phenomenal. So, um, you know, they uh, they had definitely um, had some challenges and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, yeah, that's one thing uh, Honda's great at is, uh, you know, refining uh, their uh, engineering. And, they, uh, you know, by the time it comes to the mass production level, it's, it's definitely... Uh, definitely a great product for sure and and even sometimes they come out with uh dual exhaust coming out not only the back but coming out the front of the engine uh brian the 250 the 250 f for 2018 if i'm not mistaken the two, the brand new exhaust system for that i believe aftermarket running about four thousand dollars yeah, I don't. I don't know. I haven't heard what the the cost for for that is. Uh, Four thousand seems a little a little crazy, but uh, uh, yeah. yeah, that was like I said. Honda definitely uh, they uh, uh, were thinking outside the box and you know trying to get every uh, little uh, advantage they can. So that's you know that's that's the uh, design they came up with. And uh, you know I don't have much seat time on that uh, CRF two fifty. Uh, I have a little bit more on the CRF four fifty, but. Uh, um, from what I hear, it's getting uh, you know decent reviews. So uh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure they're uh, going to uh, have something up their sleeve next year. No doubt. Well, a completely reconfigured engine uh, as well as brand new exhaust system on that thing. The nice thing about that ex- particular exhaust system and its configuration is the fact that. Um, now, now you don't have to decide which side of your bike that you want to take a picture on, whether it be pipe side or or, or uh, like engine case side. With that particular bike, you're always on the pipe side, so it's it's kind of a win win. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I never 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 thought of it that way, but uh, you know. And then if you uh, you know lay it down uh, uh, on, on one side, I guess uh, you won't have to replace both sides. You know, like the old dual exhaust. So, uh, and I guess there are pros and cons to everything, right? Absolutely, and uh, and if there's a, if there's a problem, there's a good chance that Honda has an answer for it. So uh, uh, I believe uh, you're in good hands with those guys, my friend. Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. I've been uh, been uh, with them for uh, almost 15 years now. So it's uh, it's a they're a great great group of people and a great company to work for. And uh, like I said, I'm uh, just uh, just uh, blessed to have uh, 
had landed such a, a good job after uh, my uh, social motocross career. So it was uh, it was uh, very fortunate for sure. You're way too humble, my friend. Now coming from me, uh, coming to me live from from Ohio, I gotta ask before I let you hang up the phone: Are you at all a uh, a sports fan? And if so, uh, have you claimed an allegiance to either one of the dismal football teams from Ohio? <laughs> uh, no, I uh, actually okay, well, my, my my favorite NFL team is pretty dismal. I'm still a uh, 49ers fan, but uh, you know, I it's they're about as uh, suck about as bad as the Browns or or the Bengals for that matter. But uh, actually, I'm a Buckeyes fan. Uh, so here in uh, Central Ohio, uh, uh, Ohio State is uh, actually about yeah. 15 miles down the road. So uh, you know, at least we have one decent football team in Ohio, and that's the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, my daughter okay. actually, uh, she goes to school there. She's a sophomore, oh, nice. uh, at Ohio State. So, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to uh, go to quite a few of those games and, uh, you know, they got the big, uh, the big game this week in the Big Ten, uh, championship conference in Indianapolis. So, uh, right. we'll definitely, uh, be watching that and, uh, go Bucks. No kidding. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if you lined up, um, the, the current roster for the Ohio State Buckeyes and put them against the Browns, Ohio State wins by at least a touchdown. I, I 100% agree with that. Somebody, I said somebody, <laughs> I said something at work the other day and they thought I was crazy. So obviously they were Browns fans, but yeah. I, I well, that, agree with that. that, that they, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, definitely, uh, definitely not a, uh, Browns fan by any means, but, uh, uh, you know the Buckeyes are uh, are pretty uh, pretty amazing. You know with Urban Meyer and stuff like that, they just uh, are pretty tough to beat. And they seem like the the couple games they lost each the year, uh, or at least the one in uh, versus Iowa. You know they didn't play very good, but uh, they lost to Oklahoma. And I think Oklahoma is definitely uh, probably one of the top teams. Uh, they're going to be tough to beat anybody. You know to beat them. So. We yeah, will see. Saint Nicholas has those guys going good again. Um, but yeah, you know what, Sp- Spud, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, I think we're going to have to make you a repeat offender, have you on again uh, sometime in the near future. But uh, this has been a lot of fun for me. I love going down memory lane with you. Uh, your your knowledge and your rem- like your ability to remember your career is uh, a breath of fresh air because there's a lot of guys that honestly don't remember the details the way you do. Um, and I hope that people really enjoyed this, especially uh, I-, I do plan to send a link to uh, John Anderson and hopefully uh, he le- enjoys listening to it as well. I really appreciate it. You know, thanks a lot for uh, giving me this opportunity and uh, reliving some of my, uh, my uh, bench racing days and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, there's uh, definitely uh, it does get a little fuzzy. You know, rather it's just the uh, how long ago uh, or the concussions, but you know, it's uh, it is uh, kind of hard to remember some of the uh, uh, the details. You know, I had just you know such uh, great memories and stuff like that. So uh, I it, it was uh, I was truly uh, blessed and so fortunate to have uh, great people in my life and uh, um, you know um, just. Just uh, very, very uh, loyal to all, you know all of them. So uh, just want to thank everybody, including yourself and uh, John Anderson and the White Brothers. And uh, there's just so many people out there that uh, you know I, I owe and give credit to. So uh, uh, thank you all, and I appreciate you listening. 
Awesome, man. Well, uh, don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. Perfect. Hey, everyone. Let's take a break and listen to some commercials quickly. Then we'll be right back to the podcast. Thanks for listening. FlyRacing.com is the home of quality and innovation. The design team at Fly tirelessly rebuild and retool premium lines like the Evolution 2.0 and Light Hydrogen with features like zipper lock to prevent closure failures and EVO's BOA technology, which ensures the perfect fit. Complete your protective gear combo head-to-toe with Fly Racing F2 Carbon MIPS Retrospect and Fly's entry into the premium boot segment with their sector. All products and colorways are available at FlyRacing.com. In motorsports, the action pulls us in, and often we never get close enough to the exhilaration and athletes that amaze us. Although trackside seats are available, nothing gets you closer to motocross and supercross action than the collective experience. Dave Drakes has created an exclusive opportunity to get you closer to the sport you love so much. If you want an all-access experience with Adam or Tyler Knapp, Henry Miller, John Ames, or even the cat, AJ Catanzaro, you need to check out the collective experience today. The collectivexp.com, as well as the collective ex on Instagram, is where you can find the collective experience. Do so immediately. The collective experience. Nobody gets you closer. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey, Big MX listeners, it's time for another commercial break. Please listen carefully to these, and we'll be right back to the show. Thanks. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now, and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples, and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA all things wheels.
Hey, Big MX fans. Thanks for listening to this podcast and hope you're enjoying it. I want you guys to head on over to TractionMX.com. TractionMX is the place to get your seat covers for any bike that you have, whether it be a Husqvarna, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha, KTM, you name it. These guys have a great seat cover for you. They're durable, they're flashy, they're eye-catching, and they're one of a kind. The reason why they're one of a kind is because you design your own. You pick the fabrics, you pick the ribs, you pick the everything all the way down to the stitching uh, color that they use on the seat cover itself. Traction MX is your one-stop shop to set your bike apart from the herd 110%. These seat covers start at just $69.95 American, and uh, the average turnaround is a one to two weeks. One to two weeks from now, you could have a bike that's looking completely different than it does right now. So head on over to TractionMX.com, start shopping, start designing, and make something special like for you today. Going viral with Viral Brand. Viral Brand is setting its sights on being one of the leading brands in the extreme sports market. From supercross to snowcross and snowboarding, and everything in between. Viral Brand is working hard to not only bring you premium products, quality eyewear, and killer style, but award-winning support with every sport. Head on over to theviralbrand.com and get tinted lenses, clear lenses, 10-pack of tear-offs, and goggle bag for only $59.99. Viral Brand products are available in the U.S., Canada, and Australia and used exclusively by the Barn Pros Racing MX Home Depot Yamaha team for the 2017 season. Go viral with the viral brand. And we're back. Big MX radio podcast show. Off the line now is Spud Walters. He's off uh, to go watch some some Ohio State football. But now with us on the line, an equally renowned motocross superstar taken from our, uh, our our eyes a little bit too early as far as his his involvement and his competition in the sport and uh, a legend in his own right the great young gun mike young how's it going awesome brad hey thanks for the intro brother uh, thanks for having me on the show it's been uh how long has it been it's been a while. Well, I think uh, it's been at least a year, uh, if not maybe a little bit longer than that. Yeah, a and that's, all, that's a, a, uh, yeah, I think it, it might be actually almost over like a year and a half, roughly. I think it was yeah. in the fall of 2015 when I first had you on, and uh, it's my, it's totally my fault for not having you on again sooner, my friend. But uh, um, as you know, I'm always trying to uh, to have on new guests over and over and over again, uh, and and sometimes I forget to. Uh, to, to, to catch up with some of my my, my older guests. But uh, yeah, the two of us did a podcast um, about a year and a half, two years ago, chronologizing your entire career. Um, and uh, we did so alongside uh, the great late Don Schneider. Um, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, uh, passing almost a year ago, or I guess uh, about six to eight months ago, roughly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Great to be back, and yeah, like you said, it's a it's a really uh, it's a heavy year this year. I think for uh, losses for all of us, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people have uh, have gone home, and uh, yeah, that was a that was a shocker one right there. And uh, man, I still uh, I think about Don a lot. I actually uh, 
I kept his last uh, message to me that he that he left, and it was uh, it was probably a month or so prior to his passing, and it was um, it was interesting because it I could tell there was some something going on that wasn't right because it just wasn't the normal responses I would get from him. But when I responded back to him, I never got a response back. So I'm not sure if he was able to receive the response. I don't know if maybe he was on one of those pay-as-it-goes phones. You know, I don't know. But it was uh, it was one of those things where I wish I could have reached back out and somehow been able to communicate and see what was going on because it basically didn't uh, it didn't leave a good taste in my mouth. And then to get the news, you know weeks later it was pretty that was pretty shocking and you know don was up upbeat guy and so it's just a shock i just never really got the real truth on what actually happened and i don't know did you get any information on that no i really didn't um honestly a lot of the the, the info i got about don's passing was from you um it's it was uh it's extremely unfortunate and um If he was in a very dark place uh, in the latest state, the the later stages of his life, um, and uh, there was um, some some cryptic texts that he had sent me um, about maybe three or two or three months prior to his passing, and uh, he seemed to be really bouncing around, and um, I just at the time just kind of felt bad for the guy, just because yeah, that's um, how I was. I, I was helpless in terms of what I could do for him, and I think he was also helpless in terms of what he could do for himself at that point. And uh, unfortunately, like you said, he had to go home. Yeah. Oh, here you go. Can I read this to you? Yeah, absolutely. Would it be all right? Um, yeah. So my last correspondence with him, uh, not that we want to you know, elaborate on this stuff, but his last message I ever received from him was Sunday, January 22nd at 4.58 in the morning, my time. Obviously, he was two, I think, two hours ahead because he was in Texas. But, it, yeah, it was a trippy text like that. It said, AM, inside Salvation Army 5302, Harry Hines Boulevard, Dallas, Texas, with low hopes. No kidding. Spread this news somehow. Lost and afraid. Last text. Close to Parkland Hospital, Dallas, Texas. Now have to leave Salvation Army. No words. About to be discharged any time. Homeless and afraid and, and carless. Mike, um, where are you? Where have you been? Um, I need you. My phone has 23% charge and a couple days of service. That's probably, there it is right there. And he says, I'm sure you are asleep. And that's where it left off. And uh, that's when I messaged him back, and I never got anything back. So that was that was what I was left with. It was a, yeah, a pretty heavy thing to have the, okay. you know, the uh, times that he and I have had, and the, you know, knowing knowing him when he uh, was just getting, you know, from his racing side of things into photography, and he was really good friends with, of course, my late mechanic Russ, and um, a few of our homies up there as well. Um, Mitch, who is another good friend of his, uh, Mitch was like one of his best buddies up there, and they, uh, I don't know, see them, they were traveling the series together, coming to the Four Stroke Nationals, and he was just, he was like an avid, like, fan, is what he, like, went from a racer to a fan, and it was, 
it was cool. He just loved the sport. He loved the people and he just wanted to be there. And he would come up with new pictures every week and say, Hey, look what I shot of you or of Lance or of so-and-so and just such a great, great guy. And then, you know, obviously he got more involved after that, but yeah, what a shame and what a loss. And it's just crazy. I just, I don't like to let those memories go because there's just good people. And then, you know, obviously Tom White, that's uh that's tragic, but at the same time, it's almost a celebration because, you know, Tom, uh, I just loved how Tom wasn't afraid in his, uh, his interview that he did with Don Maeda at Transworld. He said, he goes, you know, I'm a strong Christian, a devout Christian, so I know where I'm going to go. When, when I stop here, I know where I'll start there. And he was like, wow, that was cool to put that out there like that. You know, it's cool for the world to see. I've known Tom for many upon many years. And, uh, yeah, it's just been such a, he was just such a great guy. If I can elaborate, can I talk about him really quick? Absolutely. I would love for you to do so. Um, honestly, having both you and Spud on the, this podcast this evening was, uh, in a lot of ways directed at the, uh, the fact that, um, like in, in Tom's passing, as well as, um, my receiving of a very special t-shirt, uh, commemorating and celebrating his life that was given to me by, uh, John Anderson, W wheels, making a very special tribute t-shirt. Uh, and I just thought uh, to take a moment and take a couple of hours to, uh, to call up a couple of guys that really knew, uh, Tom and, and a couple of guys that would, would have some intimate stories to tell. And I would love for you to elaborate on that. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, Tom was Tom was just such an, a key individual in so many people's lives, especially in this motorcycle industry. He's um, he was just such a good leader, and he led by example. And he uh, he raised up and trained up leaders, and that's what he just seemed to be so good at. And he was one of those guys that just cared. You know, he truly cared about people. And I remember. Um, I met him way back in the late 80s when they started, you know, my brothers and uh, he and his brother, Dan. And uh, it was it was an interesting time. I uh, I came to know them first off by, you know, getting parts through the shop. My dad would uh, my dad got my dad arranged some stuff with the whites to say, hey, would you sponsor us with some of the WP suspension that they were importing back in the late 80s? some of the parts weren't available over here. So you had to get them from them. So we would get them from them and, and get our suspension all dialed in through another company, but he had the parts. And so I met him and just really nice people. And then it, it kind of like, you know, we kept in touch, kept in touch. And then uh, I really started working with, with him a lot more back when I actually was riding for ATK in, in 1994, a few years uh after I got into the four stroke thing, but it actually, what was really cool was, uh, just prior to that, he called in 1990 and, uh, this was when they were doing the white brothers world four stroke championships. And I always remember watching them. I never had a chance to ride one and, uh, I would watch the, you know, I'd watch the results in cycle news and the magazines and hear about it and go, wow, now Ricky Johnson's there, you know, Glover's there, Omara's there, Lachine's there. And I'm going, these are some heavy hitters and they're doing this, this race every year. I'm like, what is going on here? Well, in 1990, I remember he personally called and said, I'd really love if you come out and race the four stroke race. And I don't even have a bike. So where do I start? He goes, no, I have this dealer. And, uh, they, they said that they would loan you a bike and this, that, and the other. So 
I was like, all right, I'd be honored to do that. So uh, this Husky uh, Suzuki dealer got involved and he got me uh, just like an off-road Husky and we literally didn't have time to really do anything to it. And I remember uh, he goes, don't worry about it. All the bikes are the same. It's like, okay, take your word for it. And so anyways, I went out to Paris and yeah, there was a full gate of all these ringers. And I was like, oh, this is going to be an interesting weekend. Um, but it was so much fun. I ended up, uh, I ended up second overall that day, which was really cool. I'll never forget how much arm pump I got from men and that thing around the track. And I remember that the clutch would fade, you know, these are old bikes, you know, and the clutch would fade yeah. during the race and you had to be really careful, you know, not like the new ones. It's like how much clutch you use, you had to be cautious. And then I think the back brake faded because the pipe went right along the side and uh, of the right side and it was right where the uh, master cylinder was. And so the back brake faded out about halfway through the race and my boot burned a hole through my boot and into my leg. So my leg had like this huge blister. It was just, it was crazy. That was patented from those Huskies back then. So anyways, I was like, oh, this was pretty fun, you know? And I think actually the year was wrong. It was 1991. And uh, that was the year. So I got second. I was really excited. And Tom goes, man, you should ride these more. And I just never forget. He'd always like egg me on and egg me on. And I was like, ah, maybe one of these days. So I get to know him a little bit more. And he goes, hey, in 92, I really think you should ride. You should come ride my DR350 on Saturday in the TT. And then you can do the Husky thing again on the Sunday race. And I was like, oh, that'd be way cool. Let's do that. So we lined it up and Husky gave us a couple bikes this year and we got them prepped and I was riding for Suzuki at the same time um, on the 125s with Phil Lawrence and Damon Huffman. And um, I was like, you know, I want to ride this four stroke. We got it so set up that I would go out and ride that thing more than I'd ever ride my two stroke. I had so much fun. So I got it dialed in and we went out to that race and uh, I went out Saturday and rode his DR and it was, it was hilarious because it was fast for what it was. But, oh, boy, next to some of the bikes I had to go against, I was just getting roosted the whole time. It was horrible. But he was laughing. He goes, man, no one's ever rode that bike like that. And it was so rad to see you doing that. And I had a blast. It was so much fun. And then Sunday, the pressure was on because, obviously, 40 guys again. And Tom had his guys. He had, like, Zitterkopf under his tent. He had Kyle Lewis under his tent. And Zitterkopf was on a KTM. And um, uh, Kyle was on a Husky. And I was like, this is going to be a rough one. You know, this is going to be a rough one. But I ended up uh, winning both motos convincingly. And uh, it was just, that was the beginning of the beginning. And so that really got me connected with Tom. And so in 94, the ATK guys, they were looking for, like, they were like, man, we really need to find a way to get these bikes to handle. Do you remember the ATK had that one-sided shock? Yeah, that was weird. <clears throat> it was weird technology, wasn't it? It was like, what is this? So so that was what was weird is they got bought by a company up in Utah, really nice people, Frank White, good friend, give him a shout out. And he's still up there in Centerville. Uh, I think it's Bountiful, Centerville, somewhere up there in Utah. And Frank, uh, they hired me and said, hey, we want you to do some sales part-time and then we want you to really race. You know, I was like, all right. And I got on the bike and at first it was just, it was not really what it should have been. It was, it was a fun bike, but it was just, you're talking an old Rotax motor, you know, air-cooled and all these guys were running water-cooled. It was really heavy. Just everything was just, it just wasn't right. And so I went to Tom and I was like, um, 
can I do an introduction here? This could help you. It could help me. And I think we could both make something good out of this. And we did. So he's all, yeah, let's do it. So his engineer, uh, Jim, Am Jim Anderson, uh, who is a legend from the KTM days, he actually, uh, he and Mike Fisher, or he and Brock Glover designed the first KTM 250 two-stroke. Do you remember when Brock was in Europe years ago, like in the 80s, the late 80s? He was right. in, I, I want to say it was the, the maybe early 90s was probably about when it was, maybe early 90s. Yeah, so this guy, Jim Anderson, amazing engineer, he sent him up to Utah, tested with us, tested with us. And what we found is that the, excuse me, the swing arm was flexing so bad that it was just bending the shock shaft. And so we had to basically redesign the whole swing arm. So about the fourth or fifth race of the four-stroke nationals, I'm just holding on for my life on this thing, you know, and in between races, putting new shocks on, it was getting pretty expensive. And uh, Jim got it to where that thing was amazing. Actually, to this day, it was probably one of the, it was one of the bikes I looked back and go, that was one of the funnest bikes I ever got to ride. But Tom, he put a lot of effort and a lot of energy into that because obviously they were using WP suspension. He was WP importer. So it, it benefited both parties. So it was really neat. So that that's how that kind of got started. And then I really got my taste of who Tom White really was when I um, when I started, when I got hurt. So right, right before I got hurt, you know, he was actually helping me uh, with miscellaneous stuff. He and John Anderson, John was helping me with a ton of parts. Tom didn't have to be involved in it. Tom just had to say yes or no. And uh, Tom was helping us with a bunch of stuff with the, the Husaberg program parts through the shop, you know, certain things that he was like getting us OEM deals lined up with. And uh, so anyways, he was helping us. We helped us with our suspension, uh, got everything. I mean, it was just really cool how involved they were. They were really good. He had a couple guys in the back that were really became really good friends of mine, like Richard Swisticus, who now is in Arizona. And they would come out to the track, cast with us, spend all this time. And Tom was just like, hey, the only thing I ask is let me just spin some laps on that bike one of these days. So I took him to Glen Helen one day and let him ride in one of my 96 Husaberg. And he had the time. He came in and he, like, I could not take the smile off of his face. He was just ear to ear going, this is the funnest bike I've ever ridden. And I'll never forget him, you know, saying that. I was like, wow, it's cool, all this work. And, you know, let him get on it. Obviously, it's not set up for him. It's set up for me, so it was way too stiff probably. But he loved it. He said, this bike is so electric. It's so smooth. Oh, you're going to do so good on this bike this year. And so anyway, so that 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 went on. Obviously, we know in 96, I ended up uh, winning the East Coast National Championship for the West Coast. We lost because the bike broke in the last, the last moto and the last lap, which has never happened. But, of course, it did happen. And then uh, in 96, yeah, it's always like something's going to happen. You're thinking as you're riding, you're like, Okay, is that a noise? What's that noise? Oh God, did that make that noise before? Did it just cut out? Grant you know? Langston, you know all about that. Yeah, right. It's like everything is going through his head. So same thing for me. I was thinking the whole way around the track. I wasn't even racing the race. Like I just let Lance Snail get out in front. I just wanted to just be in second and just do, just get to the checker flag, you know. So anyway, so we get done with the series and um, started the '97 series and. Just before my accident, literally like weeks before, um, Brad's son, or um, Tom's son, Brad, is such a good kid. He's just, he was just a kid that, man, he would give you the shirt off his back. He was just the nicest kid in the world, so humble. And just, Brad's just this little redheaded, freckled kid. And he, uh, 
you know, he'd just go to the shop and he'd whittle on things and make stuff. And he had these like little XRs and stuff that he'd mess around with. And he'd just help out. Dad said, Hey, I need you to run and go get some parts. Okay, cool. He'd hop in the truck and he was just there to help, you know, just a good kid. So he grew up around the shop and knew everybody. And, um, so obviously I'd go in there and he'd go, Hey, hey, hey. And he'd want to talk about stuff, you know, and I'm kind of in a hurry and I'm like, all right, Brad. Yeah. Okay, cool. And you know, then I do my thing and get out of there. Well, one night after, you know, unfortunately, him, him and his friend were goofing around behind the shop, and there was like a, a chain uh, draped across the parking lot to block cars from coming through, and he couldn't see it. He was come ripping down, and it hit him right in the neck and ripped him off the bike, and he was laying there, no oxygen to his, you know, brain, and it's just something that when I got that phone call, it's something that I could never even believe could happen to somebody a family that was just so nice. You know, they'd been through a lot. They've given and given and given, and they didn't, it just seemed like they didn't deserve that, you know. And uh, I'll just never forget. I mean, luckily, they were in the position they were in. They were able to take care of him because and, 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 that's going to be a full-time parenting job right there. I mean, full-time caregiving. Right. And I just couldn't believe it. So, Tom go. Tom made some stickers for Brad, and we went and saw, I went and saw Brad, you know, in the hospital, which was very tough um, once. And uh, he obviously was in a coma at the time and didn't probably even know I was even there. But I just went in. Nobody was even there. I was like, hey, I must have missed them all. And I just was saying hi to him, and it was hard to stomach. And so I left, and uh, two weeks later, that's when I had my accident. And what was crazy was, Tom happened to be on the starting line. So we, the way it worked is the pro practice would start at like eight o'clock. The first practice would go off then they'd run a couple motos. And then the second pro practice was at like 10. And then the first moto was at like 11. So it gave you this time in between to get your bike styled in and get stuff clean and ready. And I remember the, I went and talked to him in between the first, uh, first practice and the second practice, but he was just getting ready to go to, you know, go in the gate. And I was like, Hey, tracks a little bit gnarly. And some of the stuff in here needs to maybe be modified and he goes, all right, we'll deal with that before the moto. He goes, we'll figure something out. I go, all right. So I go get on my bike, obviously. And right prior to that, like the week prior, they gave me these little Brad White stickers and I put one on my helmet and I was really proud to honor that and, and to have that on my helmet. It felt like a really good thing to, to honor Tom with that. And then I was that day going to, to give a like speech and talk to everybody over the, uh, the loudspeaker, you know, about Tom and about Brad and just about how amazing that family is and keep praying for the family, keep praying for Brad and that he can get better and all that stuff. So, um, so that was all in my head, running through my head the whole time. And so I, I, come around that corner and crash, hit the double and crash. And I'm laid out there, you know, sprawled out pieces everywhere. Right. And, uh, I'll never forget the certain people around me. And one of them's a good friend of mine, Mark Moore. And Mark was just, he was there. My, my, my wife at the time was there and Scott Hoffman and a few other people were there. Medical people were there. I think Don was even there. Yeah. Don was there too. Don Schneider. And, uh, anyways, I'll never forget when Tom came over because he was on the gate, he had his helmet on, and he came over and he started talking to me. And I'll never forget the look in his eyes that, like, he was just so sincere of every word that came out of his mouth. And he just wanted to just 
tell me that, Mike, you're going to be okay. I just want you to know I love you and your family and you always will be family. And no matter what it takes to get you back up and going, I'll be here for you to, to help you along the way. And I remember tears coming out of his eyes. I remember a tear, you know, dropping on me and I couldn't get to it to wipe it off my face, but I just remember it was kind of itchy and I was like, gotta get that off. I couldn't move my arms. It was like jacked up. And so anyways, I'll never forget that. And I just remember as I'm laying there in torment, not even knowing what's going on and thinking that, you know, this could be my last breath. Um, I just told him, I said, I'm really sorry. And he goes, for what? I said, I let you down. So you let me down. How? I said, because I wanted to, I had a plan today to, to talk about you and Brad. And he goes, oh my God, don't you even worry about that. You, you know, don't you worry. But that was what was in my heart, you know, was him because he's just such a good person. So for fast forward about a year and a half after that in like 98 and I started big gun and, uh, my partners and I, we started it up and, uh, Things were cruising right along at a rapid pace. And obviously the four stroke was just becoming something then. And, uh, Tom really changed like the whole direction of that company because he, uh, he brought us on board. He goes, he just, he, I don't know, he was just so amazing. I, I went in there and I needed to talk to him because he wanted to buy me a wheelchair. I just had my first one out of the hospital. It was horrible. And he goes, can I please buy you a wheelchair? And I was like, yeah, no problem. Where do we sign up? So he had me figure out what it would cost and, and you know, all that stuff. And so we had one made and he paid for it. So he just was such a blessing. So he pays for that wheelchair. And while I was in there, he goes, I'd really like to talk to you about something else too. And I was like, what? Well, he basically opened the door to give us the start for Big Gun to build that brand, you know, because we were, we were small. We were selling to dealers and we were doing okay. You know, we were doing what we could, but once, you know, you pick up a distributor at that day and age, it's like, you better be prepared because you're going to hit the ground running. People are, you know, the orders are going to go from 50 pieces at a time to hundreds of pieces at a time because the distribution channels yeah. are bigger, so much bigger. So he did that and he opened that door and he goes, Hey, in a couple of months, I want you to be prepared. I want you to, I want to start getting you in the catalog. So basically had to start supplying all these images and how his pictures taken and supplied all the part numbers and the pricing to him and to his crew. And they built it into the catalog and uh, they debuted our product. They were our very first distributor. And it was cool because that gave him the idea that, man, I need to maybe, you know, he's looking at the numbers that were moving in pipes and he was like, we need to maybe get on board with this. And that's when he started building just, a, you know, a year or two, a couple of years after he started building his exhaust pipes that became very, very popular that, of course, Spud was running and Dubok ran and a bunch of guys ran. So it just steamrolled from there. But the times that we spent and the time I spent in his office, the things that I could see him do, the parties he would throw for his employees, just to say thank you, uh, was just something that. I just instilled into what I was doing in my business because I was like, I want to be like him. You know, he was leading and leaving a legacy and just doing things like just such a nice person. You're like, wow, business isn't nice. People aren't nice. They, they want, 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 but they're never nice. And it's like, he sincerely was nice. And so 
he taught me a lot about business. He, he helped me run my business. He would give me, you know, direction when I needed it. And I cannot even be more thankful. I, uh, before, uh, before John and Kristen were married, you know, I would go down there all the time and I'd go to, uh, go to dinner or go to lunch once in a while with John and go to lunch with Kristen. They were just, it was family, those people, you know, all of them and everyone that worked there. And, uh, they all were like him. They were just good people because they were, they were surrounded by somebody who was uplifting and going that direction. So he built that into their character. And so they were all the same. It was really cool. So anyone you talk to, they all have the same thing to say about Tom. They just say that Tom was just, he was just a different breed, you know. And now, like I said, you look in the industry, amongst the industry, and there's a lot of people that were planted that started there that are now out in the industry doing things that other distributors and other, you know, manufacturers and OEs and all these different places. It's pretty neat to see that. So he obviously, he did a pretty dang good job. Absolutely. A great mentor, a great person who, who did a lot of teaching. And I think he inspired a lot of people to uh, approach things the way he did and uh, in a way that uh, <clears throat> would, would make anyone feel important, would and I said this in the in the interview that I did with with Brian is that when you were in a room with 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 Tom, he made you feel like you were the only person in the room, even if you were in a stadium or if you were happened to be the only person in his uh, early years of motocross museum that he had. Like it, it was uh, a, a phenomenal thing and a. a, a a gift that he had to literally give anybody the time of day and make them feel as though they were important, whether you were a factory superstar or uh, a weekend warrior that can barely keep it on two wheels. Um, the guy was, uh, inspiring. He, he made you want to be better as a, as a fan, as an enthusiast. Um, and it just, uh, like something about Tom was just infectious and, um, I think that's like honestly that's what I take away from him the most is that yeah. he was able to just reach out to uh, so many people and have that impact that so few can. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I, yeah, he's definitely definitely missed. I couldn't believe it. You know, I couldn't believe when I got the call that he was sick to begin with, and then you know I uh, would message him here and there, just text message him, and uh, just to say hi and see if he needed anything. And then it was interesting because i went to uh glenn helen one day for um a secret you know they were gonna like basically secretly give him some awards and and celebrate him but he didn't know that's really what it was about it was just before i think the uh was it before the g before the gp or before the national it was right right around the national time and uh it was interesting because i went there and he didn't have the idea what everybody was there for and then he realized it later but he was in a typical prom form, just go, go, go. And just, what can we do? What do we got to do? What are we doing? He's just all over the place. And I was like, man, for somebody that's sick, he's getting it done right now. I'm like, I want that kind of energy. So it was, it was interesting. And then I, you know, it was literally a few months later and, you know, he was my, one of my friends texted me, my friend Kenny, and he goes, Hey, uh, you should probably reach out to Tom. I guess he's not doing so good. And I'm like, what? he was fine when I saw him, you know, and I missed my cue on that deal because I didn't, I was too afraid. I was scared. And I was like, ah, you know, it's one of those things. That's a tough thing to, to face. You know, some people are really good at that. 
I really struggled with it. And I don't know why, but I just was so afraid to do it. And I was like, oh, I can't reach out. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then before I knew it, you know, I got the news that he came and I was like, oh, no. But I wrote him a really long uh, letter and I put it in this uh, card and I gave it to his daughter, Kristen, when I saw them at the Glen Helen event. And I was like, hey, can you give this to your dad when, when he's not around all these people? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I was like, all right, cool. So I, I did that and it kind of touched on a lot of the stuff, you know, touched on how thankful I was for him and for what he's done in not only my life, but everybody that I've seen in the industry's life and uh, the changes that he's made and just the person he was. And yeah, he's just, he was just so rad. So yeah, he's going to be missed. That's a, that's a family member that will never, uh, never forget. Just like Don, you know, it's like, we're not going to forget these people and, they're, uh, they've all made an impact on our lives and, and on many different people. And uh, they brought a lot of good to the planet. And, uh, you know, we definitely felt it when they, when they went away, you know, felt the loss from it. So definitely going to feel it for a long time. So. For sure. I, uh, <clears throat> I remember the, the, the day that I heard the unfortunate news of Tom's passing and then when, after watching all of the uh, – the, the outpouring of support and condolences to the the, the white family um, is that uh, the the motocross world uh, isn't as good a place with with yeah. with Tom White out of it. Um, he was a guy that uh, inspired a lot. He was a guy that uh, got got a lot of things going. And uh, honestly, I don't think that. Um, we would be on the machines that we're currently racing at the professional level without his efforts uh, to get the four stroke nationals to where they were to get um, to ha- have you on those machines in the early nineties. Um, those were all pieces of the puzzle that needed to happen for us to enjoy the sport, the way we enjoy it right now to see guys yes. riding like they never could have on a two stroke. Um, and, uh, I think that that's just kind of speaks volumes to his impact that literally the, the machines we ride, uh, in, in a lot of ways were, uh, were a lot of some, somewhat introduced to, um, to racing and, and, and popularized by a guy like him and, um, and, and a guy that, that loved racing and continued to race and ride, uh, for as long as he could. Um, in fact, uh, just the, even the la- in the last month that he was, uh, that he was with us throwing a leg over Zach Osborne's championship bike and cutting yeah. laps at the, at the famous Glen Helen raceway. And, uh, and also getting, uh, getting a, a pretty nice looking Indian, uh, motorcycle, the, the, his flat tracker spinning laps oh, on yeah. that. And he was, I, I was able to text him shortly after that. And he, he had, he had told me how awesome it was and that, uh, Smith, Meese, maker never had a chance. And he, he thanked me for asking <laughs> and, uh, it was it was, so uh, it, it was absolutely the guy had a sense of humor through it all and uh, and just and like a, he was a, a comedic warrior the guy would ma- would make light of his situation by st- but still also letting you know that he was fighting and uh, the last text I got from Tom was October 13th of this year at nine o'clock in the morning my time so 7 a.m his time which probably means he was up earlier than I was that particular yeah. day Um <laughs> And it said I asked him how he was, and uh, that I was hoping to come down to the uh, the, the vet, vet national championships. And all he said was, "Fighting the cancer, and working with my team to make it to to assure an amazing 2018 World Vet." 
And mm. uh, I, I didn't get another text from Tom after that. Um, but but just the fact that like he like the majority of that particular text is focused on making the 2018 WUSA uh, World Vet National Championships are that uh, as good as they could be and uh he never got he never unfortunately never got to see that but um i got to think that a lot of the work that he put in allowed for for that to be a pretty special event yeah. and um yeah sorely sorely missed that like, uh, that's, yeah that tom is just that guy so such an amazing person and yeah his collection of motorcycles fabulous and his love for motorcycles that's what's so cool he wasn't just in business to just be in business. He loved the industry. He loved the sports. He loved motorcycles. Some people don't, I can't say they love it. You know, there's some people that are like, they're in it because they have to be. He was in it because he loved to be, you know, like he said, when he got on that Indian and went around that dirt track and he had him and Alan Olson, I could just see the smiles on both their faces. What an amazing experience that had to be. And wow, just some of the things that Tom has seen, done, been through, gone through, you know, it's just unbelievable. I mean, you know, that family's had a lot of stuff dealt, you know, dealt to them that has just been really hard. And they just kept going and pushing and striving and making it through it. And I love that Tom put his faith as a priority in his life and and uh, wasn't afraid to share that. I thought that was so awesome. You know, it's like, man not afraid to talk. I love that. That was awesome. So yeah. So what a, what a shame, but what an honor too. like for Spud and Dubok. And, you know, there was a bunch of guys, like even Damon Bradshaw rode for him uh, at the four stroke nationals. And there was a yeah. lot of guys that went through that stable that, you know, were retired old top guys like Bradshaw. I mean, dude, Damon Bradshaw is a legend, dude. And he rode for Tom and it was, oh, it was just awesome. So neat to see. And, like you said, to see what he did, he created this this series that was just so fun. I mean, it was the funnest thing to do. Every year we couldn't wait to go race like the, the Four Stroke National. It was like so fun. It was two days of just pure fun. And it was uh it was just something different than the, the regular motocross races. It was different different atmosphere, different people, and the people were passionate and it brought out a lot of the older guys from the olden days when they used to have the old triumphs and the BSAs like Dick Mann and guys like that. And those were guys that when I was a little kid, you know, when I was a little, little, little kid, they were racing those big old thumpers. And I was going, how could they race those turds? And then now these guys look back at like my era and Brian Sud Walters era and Lance and they look at us and go, how did those guys ride those turds? You know? So it just keeps on going, but yeah, what a, what a legacy. That's what I think in our lives, that's one of the things we want to do is, is what's your legacy going to look like? You know, I mean, you're not taking any of this stuff with you, but I mean, are you leaving a good footprint? And I think Tom put, Tom has a great footprint, you know, and he left a great legacy. One that, you know, is an honorable thing that you can look back on and go, that was a job well done, you know? Absolutely. No. And, uh, it's, it's not often that we can say that someone's going to be um, 
remembered in such a way, and ha- and and honestly, it speaks volumes to his his impact that he had, and um, it it just, uh, but also like the celebration that um, that his life has kind of come full circle, and that the 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 impact that he had um, was was so strong, and um, yeah. the guy was just. Um, something that that people could really look up to and i certainly did and uh, i couldn't have been more lucky to have spent a couple of hours with him totally one-on-one at his his museum and um it 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 was like i I, i've said this probably 10 times on the podcast people are probably tired of hearing about it but the the fact that he just Two hours, me and Tom White, and uh, stories that come out of that guy, and the uh, the, the the attention to detail. Like uh, anyone else in his position uh, would, a probably not answer my phone call, or b uh, not take the time to to tell you the stories and 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 point out the the little details that you didn't notice. Most people would allow you to walk past those details and and not bother to. Um, to, to stop and smell the roses but Tom he owned those roses and he helped people walk past them and and appreciate them the same way he did because he was a total motocross nerd the guy had uh some of the best motocross bikes ever built in the er- earliest years and he also went to the point of bu- uh, buying purchasing and restoring uh some of the worst motocross bikes of those <laughs> eras and and still celebrating them as pieces of history and um and he himself is a piece of history and yeah. uh I'm uh, I'm super thankful to have considered that guy a friend, and uh, I'm thankful for for you to to have come on the podcast to stay, take some time and, and talk about him and and, uh, and and his impact on your life and, and some stories and uh, I think this is just awesome uh, and I'm, I'm 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 sure although you'd mentioned that you, the the bikes you guys were riding were uh, uh, like the the they weren't exactly uh, the most potent of, of racing um, utensils, but at the time they were, and they were super exotic. Right. And we're going to have to have you on for a totally separate podcast to go over all of those uh, unobtainium, totally exotic bikes that you'd you'd ridden over the years, because uh, the gearheads and the moto nerds alike um, would uh, absolutely drool over some of the stories you must have. Oh, I'd love to. That's that's the, that'd be the funnest thing, bringing up some of those old. Uh bikes like that Vertimati, so the italian bike i rode in gps that'd be a blast yeah let's let's do that but uh i i do really appreciate you coming on tonight to to talk about uh your your like your friendship with tom and uh and also uh it's it's touching on uh don schneider a little bit a guy who was infinitely passionate about the sport as well who uh, unfortunately passed here in 2017 as well but um um mike it's always a pleasure to have you on the show man um we'll 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 make it uh we'll 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 have you on uh sooner than two years uh that's for for (laughs) no sweat brad it's always a pleasure and uh Give a shout out. I got a couple friends really quick that are in Florida. Good friends of my neighbors and, uh, hope they're safe right now. The Charters family and just wish I was there with them enjoying Disney World. <laughs> but instead I'm in California. And hey, the next time we're on, we'll, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm doing these days. Perfect, man. Well, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll catch up again soon. I uh, hope all is well with you and your family. Don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there. You got it. Thank you.